Thanks for joining us for Open Bible Online today. Open Bible Baptist Church has been in South Jersey for over 60 years. We love this community and we want to be a help to you. In order to help us help you in the best way possible, would you do us a favor? Please fill out the digital connection card posted in this link. Here you could post prayer requests and also ask any questions you may have about Open Bible. If you'd like to give today, you could give online in less than two minutes. Visit openbiblenj.org for more information. Thanks again for joining us today. Now enjoy the service. God bless you. Take your Bibles, if you would, and open up to the New Testament. The New Testament. Take a look at 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. One verse is going to be our text today. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 14, the Bible reads this way, For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then all were dead. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then, all, then were all dead. My Father in heaven, I pray that you would take this time, that you would use it in our hearts and our lives this morning. We thank you for the service to this point, and Lord, I pray that your grace would work in and through me, and that you would touch those hearts that are here present with us, those who are on uh, the internet watching by uh, Facebook or Twitter or YouTube or whatever means that they're watching, and Lord, I pray that you would bless them, that your word would go forth. Lord, I do pray that if there is one here today that does not know you, that they would realize that there is one that died for all because all were dead and we needed a Savior. We thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for sins forgiven and a home in heaven. I love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This morning I'm going to preach to you on the topic, It's My Pleasure. Have you ever heard that phrase before? It's my pleasure. Probably the majority of Americans' quick service restaurant. It's my pleasure. And they're trained to be able to say that. And to be honest with you, a really good employee, they do enjoy that. Many of them you can see on their faces that, that they really do enjoy serving their customers. And for us, as believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we start to understand the magnitude of what Christ has done for us and the love that Christ has for us, we will look at our stewardship as a pleasure. See, what Paul is saying here, he's saying, for the love of Christ constraineth us. You know what he's saying? He's saying, God's love, it's what overrules my heart. 
It's what is, has overmastered me. It's what's holding my heart. And I ask you this morning, what's ruling your heart? What is gripped your heart? There are many things that can control one's heart or rule one's heart or master one's heart. There are many things that can do that to an individual. For example, we think about substance abuse. Well, that can control a person. That can overrule a person. Sometimes there's power. People are addicted. They're drunken with power. Or, or money can control a person. Or intimacy can control a person. Or popularity can control a person. That's what can rule an individual's heart. But Paul says for the believer, he says this morning to Open Bible Baptist Church, he says, church, I want to let you know something. It's the love of Christ that rules my heart. It's the love of Christ that holds my heart. It's the love of Christ that has mastered my heart. See, for the believer, that's what's to control our life. I don't believe that most Christians understand how much God loves them. Because Paul prays for certain Christians to understand the depth and the breadth and the height of the love of Christ. See, I believe that if we understood the love that God has for us, I would never have to preach on giving. I believe that if we understood the love of Christ, that I'd never have to preach on we ought to be soul winning. I believe that if we understood the, the love of Christ, that I'd never have to preach on uh, faithfulness to be in God's house. Why? Because it would be the love of Christ that constrains us. You say, well, then what would you preach on? The glory of God. Because that's what life is all supposed to be about, his glory. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Amen. So if we understood the love of Christ, there would not be need for such preaching. But what controls your heart? It should be the love of Christ. And see, the only way that you can be controlled by the love of Christ is by having a relationship with Christ. Meeting with him daily. Spending time with him. Praying to him, listening to him. Reading his word. Serving him. You know, it's been well stated that you can give without loving. You can give without loving, but you cannot love. You cannot love. Listen to the statement now. You cannot love without giving. You know what I'm saying this morning? That if you love, you will give. See, love is an action word, and, and love gives, lust takes. When you love and when I love, we will give. And our giving is not out of compulsion, but it's out of pleasure. 
See, a believer who loves the Lord much and understands his love for them will be a believer. Now listen, a believer who loves much will be a believer who gives much. See, there's no such thing as a great lover of Christ and a miserly giver to Christ. See, we like to kid ourselves and we like to say, man, I just love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my life. And then we tip God with a a five in the offering plate. See, we can't be a great lover of God if we are not a great giver to God. So my question is, what controls your heart? I'd like to open up this morning with a few truths for you that will help us get a foundation for our giving. You might want to write these down maybe in your notes section. And the first is that we must accept the fact. We must accept the fact that God's word says more about money than it does heaven. Do you realize that God's word speaks more about money than heaven? Now, how many in here feel heaven is important? Say amen. Yeah. So if Jesus Christ, God's word, speaks more about money, and we all believe that money, uh, 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 that, that speaks more about heaven, uh, speaks more about money than heaven, and we all believe that heaven is, is an important part of the Christian life, then what do you think that says about money? How important is it to have the right view of what God has entrusted to us? So the first fact is that God's word says more about money than it does heaven. And then secondly, another fact that we've got to get established, foundational, if it's going to be my pleasure, if it's going to be my pleasure to give. The second foundational fact is that we must accept the fact that God's word says that God owns everything. Not only does God's word speak more about money than it does heaven, but God's word says that he owns everything. Turn to Psalm chapter 24, if you would, please. Psalm chapter 24, I want you to see here. You know what? How many in here have ever heard that God owns everything? Raise your hand. If you've heard that before. Okay, so I haven't taught you anything new, right? Now, I don't want you to raise your hand on this one. How many of us actually live like that's true? You say, well, I do. Well, then, well, then, well, then if God owns everything, why, why, why are he so troubled when we lose things, when God takes certain things maybe from us? If God owns it all and you lose your job, why should we fret? Give no thought for the morrow, Jesus says. See, we know that God owns everything. But to know something, that was what Paul's talking about. He was talking about we've got head knowledge, it puffs up. Yeah, I know God owns everything, but do we live that way? Knowledge and life application are two different things. You can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't apply it to your life, it doesn't matter. 
In Psalm chapter 24 and verse 1, the Bible says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Guess what? Not only does God own everything, God owns you because you're in the world. Take a look at Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 23. Leviticus 25, 23. The land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine for ye are strangers and sojourners with me. Did you see what it says there? For the land is mine. I remember when we lived in Ohio, I was pastoring out in Ohio, and man, I was used to living on a little tiny plot here in, in, in New Jersey where there's not much land, and when we went out there, man, we had two acres. I thought I was like a farmer. I was like two acres. Man. This is unbelievable. I was all excited until I had to cut it. <laughs> but that land wasn't mine. That was the Lord's land. Haggai 2.8. I'm not going to ask you to turn there because we'd be the rest of the service before you found it, but that's okay. Haggai chapter 2 and verse 8. Look at the screen. The silver is mine and the gold is mine. Who says that? Saith the Lord of hosts. He's saying the Lord of the armies. See, God owns it all. So if we would say, again, these are some foundational truths. Since we would say that God owns it all, then could we not say that God has a right to certain things? I mean, if you own something, you have a right to it. So then... I believe that we could all say that God has a right. God has a right to a definite part of your time. He has power to take all of it. Did you hear me? God has a definite right to your time because he could take all of it. God has a definite right to part of your money. He has the power to take all of it. God has a right to be glorified through your tongue. He has a right to take all of it. God has a right to be honored through your influence. He has a right, he has the power to take all of it. God has a right to your life. He has, a, he has the power to take all of it. See, it ought to be our pleasure to give to God. See, the reason that it's not our pleasure many times to give to God is because we've switched positions with God. We think that we are in control and he is here to do our bidding when he is in control and we are here to do his bidding. The servants don't tell the king what to do. The king tells the servants what to do. See, giving should be a pleasure for all believers. Well, how can it be a pleasure? Well, I've given you some foundational truths, but then let's take a look. Number one, one of the ways that it can be a pleasure instead of a stressor, because sometimes it can be a stressor for us if we're not careful. What do you do? First, number one, you plan to give. You plan to give. Well, why should I plan to give? Well, letter A, because great accomplishments are planned for. Great accomplishments are planned for. I've had a number in my mind that by the time I die, I want to give a certain amount to the work of God. 
Ever since I've been giving to the work of God, I've had that number in my mind. This is the amount that I want to be able to give to the work of God by the time that I die. So I'm going to have to live till I'm 562, but hey, I've got a plan. That was a joke, folks. You can laugh. See, great accomplishments are planned for. I don't know of one great thing that has ever happened by accident. Proverbs chapter 16, the Bible reads this way, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Verse 9 of that same text, the Bible says, A man's heart deviseth his way, he plans, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 21.5 says, The thoughts of, a diligent, of the diligent tend only to plenteousness, but of everyone that is hasty only to want. See, if we're going to have, if it's going to be a pleasure for us to give, we should plan to give. Some might say, well, I just can't. I, I can't do that. You know what, my friend? You're defeated before you ever start it. You're defeated before you've ever started. A negative attitude, listen, have you thought about this, that a negative attitude robs you of the possibilities? See, if you couldn't do this, God would have an exception clause for us. See, it can be our pleasure because it's the love of Christ that constrains us when we understand what he has done for us. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 17, the Bible says, For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You say, Pastor, when I plan, it just doesn't match up on the bottom line there. When I look at the bottom line, I've got more bill than i got month and I can't fit the tithe in, that's because you're planning wrong. You don't fit the tithe in, you start with the tithe, and then you put all your other bills underneath it. You start with Open Bible Baptist Church, and by the way, I'm going to throw this in. While you're living, you put Open Bible Baptist first, and when you're going out, you put Open Bible Baptist first. When you die, you ought to have in your will something for Open Bible. Don't let your kids just fight over it. I was on the phone just the other day with somebody and they're talking about uh, finances and it had to do with someone passing away and how people are fighting over it. And I'm thinking to myself, man, that's such a shame. See, as you are going out, the gospel needs to go forth. See, we're to live by faith. And, it, and it, if, if when the bottom line doesn't match up, if you put the Lord first, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you. Put Jesus Christ first. Put his work first. This isn't for my benefit. This is for the kingdom. You say, Pastor, why are you teaching us this? Why are you telling us this? Because the mission matters most. Making disciples of Christ who are making disciples of Christ. The mission matters most. And folks, when we have a heart that we understand the love of God for us, and when we love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our might, we won't have a problem being able to say, as the, as the offering plates pass or, or, or you, you give online, amen, what a pleasure it is. I got my giving statement and I read it to my wife and I said, look, this is what we've given over this past year. I'm excited. This year we're going to give more to the work of the Lord. Why? 
because the mission matters most. We plan to give. See, and when we put the Lord first, even though our bottom line does not match up, what I found is that God honors him. He always has and he always will. He will not be a debtor to anybody. I don't care if you're on a limited income. I don't care if you're a teenager. I, I, you know, doesn't matter. Wherever you're working, you put the Lord first and he will honor you. He will honor you. Secondly, why should I plan to give? Because great accomplishments are planned, but let her be. Your, spirit, your spiritual maturity is developed. Your spiritual maturity is developed. You and I, we need to ask ourselves this morning, what do we want? Do we want to be spiritually mature or spiritually mediocre? Do we want to be spiritually mature or we want to be spiritually blah? I mean, I tell you what, I believe that we'll be able to attract many, many people to Christ if we're just spiritually mediocre. Why are you laughing? <laughs> because you know that's not true, right? We, we ought to be growing in the things of the Lord. What did I just end up with? That the just shall live by faith. And, and, as, and, and we need to, to plan to give because it will help us develop spiritually. So you need to ask yourself, do you want to grow or do you want to remain mediocre? You say, well, pastor, sometimes it, it, it's difficult. I understand that. Take it to the physical realm. Anybody in here who hadn't exercised maybe for three or four months started an exercise program in January? Some of you did, right? Now, I'm sure January 1st when you woke up and you started doing your jogging, you know, you felt, man, this is great. And you jogged, and you stretched a little bit. I'm finding the older I get, the more I need to stretch. And I haven't been. I need to stretch. It's terrible. Everything creaks and cranks, and, man, I'm aching all the time. <laughs> but I'm sure after that first day, maybe that second day, day three came around, and you were really sore. You were like, ooh, Oh, oh, man, you, you were sore in places you didn't even know you had muscles, right? In the physical realm, to get into shape, to stay healthy, you got to plan for it. It takes discipline. But what are you doing? You are developing physically. And what I find interesting in the Word of God is that the physical is not disconnected from the spiritual. God uses the physical many times to be able to help show us about the spiritual. For example, he'll use the lilies of the field. They toil, neither do they spin, but God takes care of them and he brings that over into the spiritual, right? He talks about the sparrows. He takes the physical ecosystem and brings it into the spiritual ecosystem. And it's the same thing here. Well, if you're going to develop physically... You've got a plan for it. And if you're going to develop spiritually, you've got a plan for it. Take a look at Luke chapter 22, uh, Luke chapter 18 and verse 22. 
So we need to ask ourselves, do we want to grow or do we want to be mediocre? Now when Jesus heard these things, he said unto him, Yet lackest thou one thing, sell all that thou hast, and distribute unto the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. And when he heard this, he was very sorrowful, for he was very rich. Did you see what happened here in this portion of Scripture? This man's, think about this, this man's wealth kept him from going to heaven. This man's wealth kept him from going to heaven. This man, if he never repented and followed Christ, is in hell today. Wouldn't all of us who know Christ as our personal Savior, man, that's so sad. How could somebody let a few bucks keep them from heaven for all of eternity? Wouldn't we say that? I know I would. And you will say, well, pastor, hey, you don't got to worry about that because that's not me. I, I know Christ is my personal Savior. I, I don't have to worry about that. My money's not going to keep me from getting into heaven. Yeah, but will your money keep you from growing spiritually? What do you mean? Because giving to God develops you spiritually. See, it may be true that you're not allowing your wealth to keep you from salvation, but it may be that you're allowing your wealth to keep you from spiritual maturity. I was hoping for like arousing amens in there. I put that right in my notes. Amen. Everybody's excited about that. That's right, pastor. Continue preaching that. That's so true. We have forgotten where we've come from, and that man let that keep him from salvation, and now we're letting our funds keep us from growing. Okay, I guess I'll just have to be disappointed. <laughs> but you know I'm right. See, instead of trusting God and living by faith, you know what we're doing when we don't give out of pleasure to God is we are trusting in our riches. Turn to Proverbs chapter 11, verse 28. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 28. He that trusteth in his riches shall fall. Whoa. He that trusteth in his riches shall fall, but the righteous shall flourish as a branch. Take a look at Proverbs chapter 23, verses 4 and 5. Labor not to be rich. 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 You say, why do you keep repeating yourself? Because that's, that is the American motto right there. We want to be rich. And the sad part about it is the same thing in Christianity. American Christianity is all about show me the money. Labor not to be rich. Cease from thine own wisdom. Wilt thou set thine eyes upon that which is not? For riches, for riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away as an eagle toward heaven. And if you don't believe that, just look at the crash a couple years ago. people losing hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars in the stock market. They had it one day and the next day it was gone. Why would we invest in that? And I'm not against planning. We can talk about future planning and we can talk about retirement, those things that's, that's not wrong, that's not against the Bible. What we're talking about is honoring God first. But why would we invest in all that and not invest something where moth and rust doth not corrupt? Thieves can't break through and steal. Man, that is a guaranteed investment program, which we'll talk about. 
as you and I plan for giving, our spiritual maturity has developed. So giving can be a pleasure for all of us that plan. We should plan to give. Now, secondly, uh, this morning, you should practice giving. Not only should you plan your giving, you should practice giving. Take a look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 and 8. We looked at this last week. And again, if you're a guest here with us, uh, you say, man, the past, uh, the, the, I've come here and you're just talking about giving a church. It's always talking about giving. This is our annual stewardship month. And so if you're watching online or, or you're here for the first time, this is what we do usually in January. We talk about stewardship and we talk about giving to the church. We don't make any apologies for that, but I just want you to understand where we're at. And, and usually I go line by line, verse by verse through books of the Bible, but this is a topical series that we're looking at during January. So understand that, just trying to teach some biblical principles to God's people as uh, we grow in grace. Number two, we are to practice our giving. If it's going to be a pleasure, if it's going to be a pleasure, we plan, and then we practice 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 6. But this I say, he was soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he was soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart. So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity. For God loveth a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Now, see, it's one thing to plan, isn't it? But it's another thing to take planning to the next level. You say, what do you mean? Well, you can plan a vacation. And you can lay it all out. But if you don't get in the car and drive to the destination, you're never going to enjoy the vacation. If you don't get on that plane or get on that cruise ship, you're never going to enjoy it. All your plan is, is a dream. So we can say this morning that, hey, yeah, it would be my pleasure to give, and I'm going to plan to give. But if we don't put it into practice, it's just a dream. So letter A, what do you do? You participate in sowing. You participate in sowing. The, the, the text that we just read in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verses 6 through 8, it's talking to us about the principle of sowing and reaping. And there is so much that we could unpack here. But what I want you to see very quickly this morning is that your level of sowing will determine your level of reaping. And Paul is using here the illustration of a farmer. Now, what does a farmer do? Though we're not an agricultural society anymore, you know as well as I do that a farmer sows all that he can in order to get a bountiful harvest. He sows all that he can, then he's got to trust God to bring a bountiful harvest. Right? That's what, I mean, I've never met, I mean, when I lived out in Ohio and they had all these farmers, farmers out there and they had uh, acres and acres and acres of cornfields, they just didn't take a handful of corn seed, throw it in there and turn around and walk away and hope that the whole thing was filled with corn come a couple months later. No, what did they do? They took all the corn seed that they could get and they filled those fields up with corn seed. They sowed as much as they could, and then they trust God to be able to bless it so that they have a bountiful harvest. See, for the farmer, now listen to this. For the farmer to be sparing on the sowing is to cheat himself when the harvest time comes. 
For the farmer to be miserly or sparse in sowing is to cheat himself when the harvest comes. So you know what that says for us? That if we are miserly, when we are sparse with our sowing, giving to the work of God, it is to cheat ourselves when harvest time comes. That's why Paul says when he's writing to these churches about giving, he's saying, look, I want you to sow bountifully. Why? So that you can have fruit that will abound to your account. You're laying up treasures in heaven. By the way, I don't know whoever started this type of preaching, but it's false. It's not wrong to work for rewards. If it was, Jesus would not say, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's not wrong to do that. See, the more that the farmer sows, the greatest the harvest, the greater the harvest he will reap, and the more he will have to sow in the future. That's, that's just basic laws of nature, right? And as I said, remember, the Bible will take many times physical ecosystems and apply them to spiritual, spiritual ecosystems. So the life of nature into the life of the spiritual, that's exactly what Paul is doing here. He's showing us the connection between a farmer and how it benefits the farmer to sow a lot for the Christian to give abundantly. See, and as you and I practice sowing, and we do so with a cheerful heart, God will bless us. See, our giving should be with pleasure. I'm not going to get in much to this, but in the Old Testament, if you look into the Old Testament, giving reluctantly or under compulsion, to give reluctantly or under compulsion is portrayed as canceling out any benefit that could be received from the gift while giving with a glad heart promises God's reward. I, I, uh, just take a look at this real quick. I, I know what time it is. Take a look real quick to Deuteronomy chapter 15, if you will. I want you to see this. It's almost if the Old Testament says, when you give reluctantly, you give begrudgingly, you give out of compulsion. Remember, this is not about money. It's about our hearts. Why? It's my pleasure. Why? Because the love of Christ constraineth me. Take a look at Deuteronomy chapter 15 and verse 10. Thou shalt surely give him, and thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him. Because that for this thing the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works, and in all that thou puttest thine hand unto. See, what Scripture is, is, is stressing here, my friends, this morning, is stressing the attitude of the heart. Not the amount, but the attitude. Now, the starting amount for all Christians is 10%. That's what Scripture teaches us. There's got to be a baseline somewhere. And your 10% may not be the same amount as somebody else's 10%. Why? Because we all don't make the same amount of money. We all don't have the same income. But that's basic obedience for the Christian. And as we sow with a cheerful heart, with a heart of pleasure, 
God will bless us. I want to show you two types of sowing real quickly. And take a look at Galatians chapter 6, if you will, please. There are two types of sowing in verses 7 and 8. In Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, the Bible says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. The two types of sowing. We sow to the flesh or we sow to the spirit. What type of sowing are you involved with? What type of sowing are you involved with? But not only should we uh, practice here or participate in sowing, letter B, why should I practice this? Because you profit eternally. You practice giving. How can I give with pleasure? You plan for it, you practice it, and you participate in sowing, and you profit eternally. Turn over to Matthew chapter 6, if you would, please. Matthew chapter 6, if you would, verses 19 and 20. Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Here we go. I mentioned this earlier in the message. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. He says, don't do this. Jesus Christ is saying, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Don't do it. Well, why shouldn't I, Lord? Well, where their moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But instead of laying up for yourselves treasures on earth, what, what am I supposed to do then, Lord? What should I do with those things that you've given me, with the increase that you've given me? But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, that's why you've got to practice your giving, and it becomes a pleasure. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. See, when you practice sowing, you profit eternally. Guess what? Every single dime that you have ever given to God's kingdom. You don't ever have to worry. You don't ever have to worry about not getting a return on the investment. You never have to worry. That sounds like a pretty good investment plan to me. It's a sure thing. Number three. You can be, you can, uh, giving can be a pleasure for you, for every believer, if you plan to give and if you practice to give. But number three, you pledge to give. You pledge to give. Letter A, your commitment is personal. Your commitment is personal. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 8, and it says here, take a look, and God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Look at that phrase, make all grace abound towards you. You know what he's saying? That God is looking out for you and for me personally. And we can give to God, and we can give generously because he abundantly supplies us with everything necessary. 
to have enough to meet our needs and to be generous with others. That's what he's saying. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. See, we don't have to be miserly in our giving and thinking to ourselves that, well, if, if I give unto the work of God, I'm not going to have enough for me. You know, that's totally contrary to what the Word of God says. See, God will supply for you and he will supply for me all that we need to meet our needs. God will do that. But you've got to make the commitment. It's personal. Your commitment, letter B, it is powerful. It is powerful. See, when you determine to be obedient to the word of God, you choose not to live by feelings, but you choose to live by what the Bible says. See, it's never a question if we're going to give this week or not in the Riddell household. It's never been a question. It's never been a question, do we have enough money to be able to tithe and to give to missions and give to the building fund and, and to give maybe an offering? No, that's never been a question in the Riddell household. We don't even talk about those type of things. Now, we talk about, is there enough money? We've talked about, is there enough money to get food this week? Is there enough money to pay the electric bill this week? Is there enough money to be able to do this this week? Is there enough money to be able to do that this week? They have been discussions in the past that we've had, but we've never had a conversation, well, I just don't think that we have enough money to be able to give it unto the Lord. Why? Because we've made a pledge to give, and we do it with pleasure. See, your, your commitment is powerful. The reason that you and I have a commitment that's powerful is because you don't know how God will use it but I can tell you this much. When you make the commitment to give, you don't know how God's going to use it, but I can tell you this much. He will. He will. You don't know if some of those funds were brought in to be able to buy tracks, to be able to uh, have invites that will be handed out to someone and they come to know Jesus Christ, their personal Savior, all because you were obedient. You don't know that. See, your commitment is powerful. And then uh, letter C, your commitment is practical. See, there are times in our lives that we commit to many things. And, and we commit certain, to certain things that we don't even know the outcome of. There are many variables. And sometimes there's even uncertainty. And we make commitments in things that are not 100%. Matter of fact, we make commitments to, to things, and there is nothing, listen, there is nothing that is 100% except for the things of God. There is nothing that is 100% except for the things of God. You say, what about my life? Know you not that your life is a vapor? It's like the grass of the field, here today, gone tomorrow. You don't know that. None of you in here can say, well, I know I'm going to have my job tomorrow. You don't know that for 100%. Now, it's most likely that you'll have your job tomorrow. And I hope all of you do have your job tomorrow. But you can't say that for sure, 100%. It could be gone. 
You can't say that 100% that you're going to wake up tomorrow morning. I hope that you all do wake up tomorrow morning. But you can't say that with 100%. But the one thing that I can say is that when you make a commitment to the work of the Lord, it's practical. Why? Because it is 100%. We can count on God and his word. And we have no reason to fear because he is on his throne and he is in control and God says that he will meet your needs and that he will meet my needs and as we give to him, we can count on God 100%. He has never failed and guess what? He's not going to start with you and he's not going to start with me. See, my friend, your commitment is practical. It's as good as done. Giving can and should be a pleasure for all Christians if you plan to give, if you practice your giving, and if you pledge to give. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is giving a pleasure for you? If you're, if, if you're a Christian that's never started tithing, you say, well, what are you, what are you asking us to consider over this month, I'm asking you to consider, every single one of us, we're all going to consider our giving. I'm asking you, if you've never started tithing, I'm asking you to be obedient to God's word and start tithing every week. Number two, I'm asking you that if you're a consistent giver, I'm asking you to be praying about and committing to increasing your giving. Now, that may look different for different folks, Okay. Some may decide to increase a dollar amount. Some may decide to increase a percentage amount. Why are you asking us to do this? Because it's all about the mission. Is it your pleasure to give? I want you to think about something as I close. Could you imagine if God's word told us that he sent us Jesus to die on the cross for our sins, but it said in his word that God did it begrudgingly. To be honest with you folks, there was really no other way out, and I had to send my son. really didn't want to, but I had to send him because I don't want you to die and go to hell. Oh, and by the way, I love you. How much of you would believe really that God loved us if he did it begrudgingly? I think that you would probably doubt. You'd probably question, well, I wonder, if, does he really love me? I mean, yeah, he sent a son, but he said that he did it because he had to, because he, it was begrudging. He really didn't want to. And you know, isn't it interesting that we would look at God and we would question his love for us, and rightfully so, if that's the way it went. But let's put the shoe on the other foot. I wonder if sometimes God up in heaven says, yeah, open Bible Baptist Church, they say that they love me, but man, there's some folks in there that just, hmm. yeah, they give. But they don't give out of pleasure. They don't give really because they love me. 
oh, what they think is that that pastor's up there just talking about their money. He's trying to get into their pocket when I'm trying to get to their heart. You can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. It's my pleasure, Lord. Hey, folks, thank you so much for watching today. I hope that it was a blessing and encouragement to you. If you don't know Christ, your personal Savior, and you accepted Him today into your life, and, and you put your faith in Him, I would like to send you free of charge two things. First, I'd like to send you this book, Done. It's written by a friend of mine, What Other Religions Don't Tell You About the Bible. And then secondly, a brand new Bible, just like this one, I'd like to send to you. So please, do me a favor. First, I'd like to hear about your commitment to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Fill out the electronic connection card right below. Click the link. When you fill that out, put your address in, and I will be happy to send this book done and this brand new Bible free of charge to you. God bless you, and I'm looking forward to hearing from you. for watching us online today. If you haven't done so already, please fill out a digital connection card so we know how to better serve you this week. For encouragement throughout your week, you can listen to past sermons by searching Open Bible Baptist Church on the Apple Podcast or Google Play Store. If you'd like to give today, you could give online at openbiblenj.org. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you on the next broadcast.